This is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast, coming to you as always from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studios. My name is Michael Wellington. I'm on a solo mission today. Brandon McNamee is not going to join us, but I have a really special treat for those of you out there that are interested in learning a little bit about how to combat anxiety, about how to handle OCD. I've got on here a gentleman who is an OCD expert. He is a life coach. He is an author. His company is called Powerful Living. Greg Sansone, how are you today, sir? I'm really good, Mike. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. We know that you're in the great state of Tennessee. And let's just start off with the book. I I think you wrote this book a number of years ago. I remember when I first met with you and we talked about it. It's called Commit Emotional Suicide. Tell our listeners a little bit about what the title means, because I believe in what I know about your book and what I've read in it and what you've told me about it, the, the title actually is a little bit of a theme or a flavor for the book itself. 100%, yes. The title, Commit Emotional Suicide, I was really pleased when I came up with it when I first wrote the book. And then later on in hindsight, it's triggering too. You know, the word suicide is triggering right. uh, for people with OCD and anxiety. So I had to kind of second thoughts a little bit about it. But nonetheless, here's the important point about the the title. I wanted to make the title describe how I got my life back with OCD and anxiety. And so I thought, okay, how do I do that? What really did it? And a therapist out in New York, a a guy named Stephen Phillipson, wonderful guy, OCDonline.com. And he said to me, he said, in order to recover from an anxiety disorder, you have to be willing to commit what feels like emotional suicide over and over and over and over and over again until it no longer feels like emotional suicide. So that meant doing things you don't want to do, doing things that feel awkward, that don't feel natural. Things that, that, are, things that are difficult. Things that are difficult for you, mm-hmm. for you with your anxiety condition. Absolutely. And this is strictly anxiety that, you know, we're talking about OCD. The people run from the fear with OCD. So I remember doing the things I was scared to do or thinking the thought on purpose I was afraid that would be there or writing it out or whatever and putting myself there. That is absolutely what gave me my life and my power back again with OCD and anxiety. Being willing to do things that are uncomfortable. And it really at at its highest level, it, it feels like you'll die. Oh my God, if I do this, I feel like I would die. Well, that's just the anxiety telling a lie, but you do not know that on the front end before you do it. You think it's, you, you, you think it's, 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 that's true. Greg, would you agree that we all only really gain when we go through things that feel like serious adversity? Like it's almost like you never, people are, can, can never really improve or get better unless they go through that adversity. And what you're talking about there is doing things that challenge yourself, doing things that are difficult. Is that what you've kind of experienced? 100%. Absolutely 100%. And with anxiety disorders and OCD, the one thing I have learned, I'm 60 years old and I've had it for 42 years since I was 18. The one thing I have learned is absolutely cannot baby yourself with it. The mindset is so key. It is absolutely a warrior mindset that will give you your life back with OCD. And that's nothing new that I've come up with. The gold standard treatment for OCD recovery is exposure response prevention. That's not for me. That's in the whole field of psychology and psychiatry, exposure response prevention, which is all about exposing yourself to what scares you and preventing yourself from responding the way you normally do, which would be to run away. So not running away, putting yourself in the hot box on purpose. So again, it's it's not like, oh, you know, oh, I feel so bad for you. Like if, you know, poor thing, you poor in baby and coddle, if you get that output from someone else that's not good for you. And if you give it to yourself, it's not good for you. As opposed to, you know what? I'm going to fight this. 
I'm going to conquer this. As long as there's breath in my body, I am going to fight this. And I don't want to be babied and I don't want to be coddled because it doesn't work. So would you say a tough love approach is much better with anxiety? That's what I tell parents with their, their children, you know, they're so, you know, it's so heartbreaking, you know, they're seven and eight years old and they're adorable and they're suffering like this. And the ones that I've been able to help, you explain it to them so they understand it's like a bully or the worry bug and then empower them, empower them. Don't pity them. You say tough love. Yeah, it's tough love, but I, there's a distinction there. It's it's more empowering. They feel the love when you're empowering them. When I think of tough love, I think of more of, you know, you you discipline them or, you know, put them in timeout because it's good for them. It's not that kind of thing. It's empowering. It's, you know what? You know what this is, little guy. You know what's going on here. We've talked about it. This is a bully. I'm not going to reassure you now and tell you that it's not true because that feeds this problem. I love you too much to do that. I believe in you. You have the power to do it. I know who you are. You do this. I'm here to support you. You do this. So it's empowering. So twofold question here, Greg. How old were you when you realized and accepted the fact that you had to deal with this intense anxiety, whether it was OCD or just kind of standard anxiety? How old were you when you figured out that you had it? And how old were you when you figured out when you accepted it? And then when do you feel like you turn the corner? And what I mean by that is when did you turn the corner to say to yourself, okay, I've figured out a recipe that enables me to handle this condition or manage it? Because I think a lot of people out there are struggling. Okay, they may know they have anxiety, they may feel the anxiety, but how do they draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I I used to not be able to handle it, but now I've learned these ideas and these beliefs and these habits and these routines, and I've changed that from not being able to handle it to being able to, to deal with it. First of all, I just want to say that's an absolutely outstanding question because it is key. It is a solid, solid question. It's gold. And and so is the answer. I've got a solid answer I can deliver from my own experience. So first of all, the first part of your question, when did it start? 18 years old. Second semester of my freshman year in college, that's when it started. It started with a depressive episode and then intrusive thoughts, unusual thoughts, what if thoughts. I think I got so scared with the depressive episode that I felt like a loss of control that I then wanted to kind of prove to myself that then, but then the intrusive thoughts started quickly. Like, what if something fell out of the sky and hit me? Um, how do I know I won't go to hell? How do I know God's not a jerk? What is eternity like in hell, in purgatory? And how do I know I'm not going? I never had these things before. I always knew I was a good guy. I always knew I wanted to do the right thing and all that. But this what if stuff started coming in. That's when it started. And, oh, and then I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could handle any what if thought because I felt out of control. So I started searching for scary things to counter. That's not the thing to do either because our imagination can always, you know, run wild. More than much. Explain yeah. that a little. You, you used to search for yeah, scary things. Explain that. How did that work? Yeah, I would search for things in my mind. Like if the worst thing happened, could, could I handle it? And I'm not talking the worst thing like, you know, I lose my job or something like that. I'm talking the worst thing like, okay, what if God is really some evil villain? Mm -hmm. You know, what if I do go to hell forever just because God's a jerk? How would I handle that? That's insane to think about that stuff. You know, that that's not accepting the worst. Right. So when people say, oh, the way you get over anxiety is just accept the worst case. Well, for me, no, that has its limits. That has its limitations. Okay. God's not a bad guy and we don't have to entertain the fact that he is. Maybe some people do with their OCD expert. I don't know. All I know is I always knew in my own being the beauty of God. And I would only get screwed up if I was in my head logically. So I come out of the mind and get into the body. And that's where my peace comes from. So I'm circling back to what you said. So that's when it started. When did I accept that I have it? Well, I knew I had something. I didn't know what the hell it was. Right. And I went for eight years really not being treated. And that's when most of my damage was done when I started developing these ruts of thought and um, they became habit and addictive. And then I started going to get some help when I was about 26, 28. So six or eight, about eight years I had it by myself. And when I really turned the corner was 42 years old when I saw that Stephen Phillipson guy and I saw one of his articles online and it said thinking the unthinkable. And I was like, whoa, 
Never saw that before. I, I started seeing him and then I started going to him on Zoom. He was out of New York and I did it for a couple of years with him and it wasn't cheap. But the bottom line, I, that's the first time I learned exposure response prevention. Before I was always trying to satisfy the anxiety and satisfy the OCD so that I could make the thought and the worry and the fear go away. Uh-huh. I always wanted to make it go away. So I would outthink, try to outthink it. I think a lot of people do that. I would. They do. Yeah. And you feed the monster. And, you know, that's okay if it's not a disorder. That's okay if you don't have anxiety disorder. If you don't have OCD, it's a whole different animal if you've got OCD and anxiety disorder. But it, it won't work. You can't reason it away. You can't think it away. It's always another crazy what if. So people that don't have this are like, well, yeah, you can. Well, that's because your mind is based on reason and logic. People with OCD and anxiety, it's not about that. Their amygdala is misfiring, so they got this anxiety pumping through them, and then reason means nothing. Anxiety is much stronger than reason. So if you're full of anxiety and you got all this reason, and you think you're going to make the anxiety go away because you got reason, it's not going to happen. You think that anxiety waters down your ability to use your common sense? First of all, I just don't agree with the word water down. But first of all, the answer is yes. Okay. Yes. Anxiety does not allow you to be sensible until you learn how to deal with it. Until you get properly trained and taught and educated and you put the effort in anxiety, an anxiety disorder, you, you will not, common sense will not lead you. If you just follow that anxiety, which is what is pervasive in that moment and overwhelming, you're not sensible. You're freaked out over stuff like I'm going to get AIDS from a doorknob. Right. You know, you're freaked out over if I walk down the aisle in the grocery store, the tuna aisle, then possibly I could get as as a woman, you know, possibly I could get pregnant if that's her fear of getting pregnant, because maybe the guy, you know, that was putting the food in the cans or whatever masturbated and somehow me just walking by my body can absorb that and I can conceive. I mean, that's that's a real thing. Right. So it's not common sense. Anxiety can take your common sense away. Not, Gone. Not, water down was a bad. Not water it down. Yeah, I Gone. can just erase it. It's, erase it. And, and that's wild it to does. think. That's wild. It does. And it does. That's why, that's why it's so crazy when you see people like coming out of a bathroom, you know, and they've gone to the bathroom, they've washed their hands and they, and they just, they can't open that door because then they're going to be contaminated again. So they're waiting for somebody to open that door so that they can come out and not have to touch it again. Or they're walking around and they're avoiding cracks and they're, you know, and uh, I know the feelings, man. The feelings are real. It feels freaking real. There's the emotional suicide part. You got to be willing to step on, and I can still feel the pain now. You got to be willing to step on that crack and take that risk in order to get your life back. I just created a rhyme. You got to be willing to (laughs) step on that crack to get your life back. But you do. And it feels like whatever it attaches itself to. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. If I step on this crack, then my, my son will feel it. Whatever you love most, whatever is important to you, OCD is going to attack. And if you are not a warrior, if you go on the defense instead of the offense, you will lose. You know, I think about people, our military and people that go to war and all of that stuff, the warrior mindset. I'm telling you, it's the same thing you have to have to overcome this. And don't think if you have this condition, don't think you're going to get out of it without going to work. If you go to work, you do the work, you will come out of it but you cannot baby yourself. You've got to go. It's it. You got to do not, I'm not saying this literally, but like people that take cold showers or cold, you've got to go against your grain, what you want to do. You've got to go against it to fight it and beat it. And you'll be empowered and you'll love your life. And you'll be like, Oh my God. And I can literally look back and now say, I'm really glad I, I, that this happened to me. I'm really glad it, it has just empowered me so much. And I have, not to brag, this is where my wife says I start bragging, but I'm not bragging. But th- this is where I-, I now have so much confidence. It's like, what's going to scare me now? What's going to scare me now? If I'm in a business meeting, the guy's negotiating or whatever, and he's and he's threatening to walk away, you know, ow. You know, I faced hell itself. Do you really think I care if this deal doesn't happen? Right. I mean, so the the confidence that you get, and the compassion that you learn to develop because you've gone to your own basement, you've gone there and, and the benefits are there. But what I want to say to people that have OCD, anxiety, whatever, please accept that you have to do the work. There's no pill that's going to make it go away. 
you got to go to your basement. You got to do your work, get the right support, and you'll come out of there better than you were before you had the condition. We have covered so much here. Let's take a quick break and come right back. Looking for a dealership who cares about our community? Look to Lou. Lou Fuse gives back to local businesses and charities. Looking for a name that supports youth sports? Look to Lou. For Fuse Athletic. And we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. Looking for a huge vehicle inventory? Look to Lou. With 17 brands at 13 locations. For the very best car buying experience, you've got to look to Lou Fuse. The Street Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org. Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. So let's talk a little bit about that work you mentioned, okay? And I agree with you. I, I've had to deal with this with my own bipolar situation, right? Like in order for me to get healthy and to compete properly against my bipolar disorder, I had to do, and I still have to do every day, a lot of different work. What kind of work do you, that, that, what kind of work have you found, Greg, that enables you to handle the anxiety and, and what kind of work do you share with people? Because I think sometimes certain things work for certain people and, and other things don't work for others, but- are there like some go-tos that you lean on, some pillars in your anxiety defense? Like what are some of the things that you really believe in and that have worked for you? First of all, what you said is, is, is dead on right. People have to find out what works for them. And you just start experimenting. And yes, I have found what works for me. And so what works for me is a number of things. First of all, a mindset. And I hate to keep being redundant, but you asked it. A warrior mindset. Mm -hmm. A mindset of I'm, go I'm a battler. I'm going to battle. I'm not defending. I'm attacking. A mindset of OCD is a playground bully and it's going to chase me and run away. And now the next time the playground bully comes at me, I'm chasing him. Yeah, but you might get, you're going to get beat up. I'm chasing him because then it's no longer fun for him the next, next time. I'm not running. Same thing with OCD. I'm running after OCD. Makes me nervous scrupulosity with religion or whatever, I'm going to go into a church. I'm going to drive by churches. I'm going to purposely make myself feel anxious with it. I'm not going to avoid. I'm doing it on purpose. Watch this. So that's the attitude is watch this. So that's the mindset I have. I've kind of come past all the, a lot of that now. And my mindset that I love now is I like to just do things that are hard for me. Like when I go out in the morning to feed the horses, you know, it's 20 degrees and I'll just go out in a pair of gym shorts and no top. And I'll feel the cold and it builds up resilience, you know, or I get a cold shower or an ice bath on purpose, cold plunge. And I hated cold. It was my biggest thing. So I try to try to toughen myself up by doing things that, that are hard for me to do. That's really a big piece of it for me. And I stay busy. And I got to tell you, I heard, used to hear people say this never made sense to me, but it's true. I eat right. Eating has a big part of it, big part of OCD and depression, anxiety. I eat right. I exercise. I mean, not crazy. You know, I'll do my thing. And I'll have a couple of glasses of wine, glasses of wine at night, one or two glasses with my meal or whatever. But my point is I exercise. I don't go the sweet route. The sweets get me. And I've studied that real dark chocolate and raw, unsalted pumpkin seeds, dark chocolate, 75% and above pure chocolate and the pumpkin seeds release serotonin in the brain. And I've been doing those babies for about a month now, every day, and I've noticed a change. Very strange. Wait, are, diet? Are the pumpkin seeds dipped in the chocolate? I'm just no, or, no, okay. no, no. They're separate. No, no, man. It's not like you know you're making a marsh. You know you're a s'mores. Well, you could maybe, but I, I mean, I love dark chocolate myself, and I'm always looking for good things to eat. But I didn't know about the pumpkin seeds. That to me is very yes, intriguing. Sir. They release serotonin in the brain. I studied it. So I always have like a handful of them a day. So can you get and, them like at Whole Foods or pumpkin yeah, seeds? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, this is the kind of stuff people get, need to hear. But you get them at the nicer spots. 
Okay. And let's go Deer, back Deer for Deerbrooks has them. Whole Foods has them. Let's go back for a moment to the thing that's very popular these days. You mentioned the cold plunge and the cold shower and the cold tub. Okay. That, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, that goes back to the whole, okay, we're going to have a little adversity because I'm going to get into this cold plunge or I'm going to get into this cryotherapy and it's going to be really cold and it's going to be a challenge. And then once you get through it, it's an accomplishment, right? But the cold, yeah. tell me what the cold plunge and a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people talking about it. what does it do in your mind? What does it do physiologically? You know, what, what have you learned about the cold plunge that's helpful for you and then from, for others as well? Yep. What I've learned from it, from my personal experience is a couple things. One, if my mind's really working against me and we know what that is, right? So if my mind's working against me and I get in, in the ice cold water, you're not thinking about anything else except you're just cold. Yep. So it's kind of a, a break. It's kind of a vacation from the craziness. <laughs> That's a good way to right. look at it. Yeah, it's a different kind of crazy, but it shuts that down. And that's one thing it's done for me. The other thing it does has done for me is that when that cold starts to come in on me, I've really gotten to learn how cold, how I relate to cold. And I close, I close down, resist, I resist. And that's the one thing with anxiety and OCD. Anxiety specialists will say this. They all have the same problem. What is it? They're resisting. If you don't resist, you can't have an anxiety disorder if you don't resist. So I practice not resisting when I'm in cold water because it's a shock to me, just like that anxious thought is, and I'm going to resist. So when I'm in the freezing water, if I can not resist and open to it, then it trains me to do that when OCD comes in, when an obsession comes to me and I open to it, like I'll open my hands instead of, you know, open. Wow. It's, it's magical. Is Transformation it, is magical. Is it difficult? You, the thing that I find when I do the cold plunges and the cryotherapies, and it's really a test, is it difficult for you to catch your breath or to breathe the right way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let me say this to you. I've experienced it. It's not been a major, I, I've experienced where I, I feel like I, I'm not, I can't breathe if that's what you mean. But what has made that go away, that's because I'm resisting. What has made that go away is when I think about opening, even if it's just that much, just like not, a, don't just this stuff. No, try to try to move more towards into it. Breathing comes easier. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when it's super cold, you have to consciously think about blowing out air. And the more you blow out, I have learned, the easier it is to breathe in. It's on the exhale. So, yeah, sometimes you have to consciously. But for me, it's been a real big thing with resistance. And if, I'm, if I try to think about not resisting, opening, yielding, allowing, it makes it number. It also makes it not as cold. Mm-hmm. Weird. The feeling, the experience is it's not as cold. It's a bluff. You feel like you'll die because it's so cold. So I got to do this. Right. That's a lie. Just like anxiety is a lie. It's like a lot of things are a lie. If you get past the bluff, you realize something different, which is beautiful. So that's why I like the cold water thing, because it's like anxiety. It's that much of a shock. Anxiety hits you. Whoa, holy cow. Now, what? how do I react? Because I want to be... I'm a control freak. I I want to be ready when anxiety comes. So I'm training myself in cold water. Right. Because it's synonymous with anxiety. And if I can learn how to respond when my body's freaking out in a therapeutic way, then I can continue to improve with my OCD. And that has been effective. One of the things very effective for me, cold water, the diet, the exercise. So I think you said the daily go-tos, the things, my experience like that. Yes, all of that. Yeah, what you said right there jumped out at me. You said, continue to get better, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe no matter what your mental health condition is, if your mindset is that of, I'm going to get a little bit better each day, whether that means I'm going to eat well, I'm going to cold plunge, I'm going to journal, I'm going to go to mass, I'm going to do whatever it might be. I might listen to some music, you know, whatever it could be. Let me ask you this. Let's change gears slightly, but this is still under the same umbrella. I see a lot of people struggling today. I get phone calls that I, when I do coaching with bipolar people, 
and they tell me about that their doctors got them taking five and six medications. And I think to myself, my goodness, that is too many. When you coach your people with OCD, with anxiety, are you seeing a medication that's helpful? Do you believe in medication? Do you not believe in medication? What, what medications do you think are good? What's your thought on people taking pills these days to handle anxiety? Well, first of all, as you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I am a coach and I've got personal experience with this thing for 40 years, but I'm not a doctor, but I can just give my personal experience with it. Yes, I do take medicine. I take a, a mild dose of, of Prozac. I used to take more and then cut it back, a mild dose of Prozac and a mild dose of Luvox. What have I learned about medicine? If you, it, you're right, you're so right. Too much medicine. Right. You got to be able to do the work. You know that. You got to be able to do the work. And if you, if you got medicine head, if you're all loopy, you can't work. Yeah, well, it's like being drunk. You can't work. I think one of the problems that people are running into, whether you have anxiety or bipolar or any other condition, right, is these doctors, unfortunately, are in bed with these drug companies, right? So when someone who hasn't done a lot of research, maybe doesn't know a lot of the details that come along with these meds, these doctors can go ahead and assign four, five, and six medications to these people, and these people don't know any better, so they start taking all these meds, and then, like you said, they get their their brain is overloaded and overwhelmed with too many medications. You know, I take one medication for my bipolar. I mean, I just feel like one of the biggest problems we have today is that people are, are getting recommended to take too many pills. And because these doctors are in bed with these, with these drug companies, the doctors are making more money. It's a nasty cycle. I mean, I got people, kids in their mid twenties who I'm, you know, I'm introduced to, to coach them. And I find, I asked them, Hey, well, what, what pills are you taking? And they list five of them and six of them. Like, well, no wonder you feel so terrible. Like, uh, so I just think one of the things we got to be conscious of is, you know, try to keep the, the medications to a minimum, you know, one, 100%. two tops. hundred percent. If anybody recommends more than that, get a second opinion. Good and idea. If you have any doubts or you feel medicine heady and you feel like you can't work because you're kind of loopy, get a second opinion. What I always did in the beginning when I was going to uh, doctors and that is because I had this problem and I was, I, I always took half of what they told me. That's just what I did. In the beginning, I took half of what they told me until I got with a good guy. I did too. And then he, he finally, you did too? Yeah. When I first got yeah. diagnosed, yeah. I was afraid to take the full amount you of did. medication because I had actually, up until that point, I had had some success in my life. And I was like, well, why do I need to take these pills now? But then, as you said, you get with a good doctor or someone that you trust and you realize, and then, okay, the whole, then, yeah. the whole medication. They were, always heavy handed on the, they were always heavy handed on the front end. Always. And I didn't like that. But anyway, it's a personal thing, but I completely agree with you. And and the reason it's not good, and I think you'll agree with this, is because when you're loopy and looped up, you got medicine head, you can't work. Yeah. It's like being drunk or something. How can you be serious about anything when you're altered? Medicine is supposed to help us to get us to a place to where we can do functional work. Agreed. Not to where we're just in this goofy, euphoric state. Right. I mean, unless somebody is just... I don't know. I don't like I said, I'm not a doctor, but all I know is I want to be able to work. I want to do be able to do meaningful work. And I can't do that if I'm stoned. Yes. If you're loopy all day long, like you say, how can you possibly achieve anything or, or fo have focused work? You cannot. We know that. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Well, one thing I definitely want to touch on is something that you have done for the mental health community that is just awesome. You are still involved in a group that meets at Centerpoint Hospital, and you've done this for about a dozen years or so. Please tell our listeners, because my podcast here is in St. Louis. You obviously have very deep St. Louis ties, but you're even though you're living in Tennessee right now, you, did you say you're zooming into your, your meetings yeah. at Center Points? Please tell our listeners about the group and what where it started and how it, it kind of you know continued yeah. to grow. So the important thing I want to say is that the group meets on Monday evenings at 6.30 for about an hour, hour and a half. Come in anytime you want. It's on Zoom. Just go to Zoom. And meeting ID 980-5717-6273, 980-5717-6273. Meeting ID and the password is four, the number four, and then Y, capital S is in Sam, capital A is in Apple, KZ, 4YSAKZ. Monday nights, just come on. And you don't even have to show yourself on a video or talk, but it's just, you know, sometimes we got two people, sometimes we got 10. 
used to have a lot more when we were in person. I've been doing it about 13 years right now. The reason I started doing it was because I wasn't happy with the help that was out there locally in St. Louis. And I found this guy out in New York City, and I knew a lot of people wouldn't be able to have access to that. So I started bringing to them what I learned, this exposure response prevention treatment. And the mindset going in, even more importantly, I kind of developed this on my own, was the mindset going in. Because a lot of people will drop out of the work because it's too hard. But when you go in with a mindset of the right mindset that I'm going into battle, you're less likely to drop out. It's just like a soldier going to war. I mean, I don't think they go in with a mindset of, oh, I want this to be easy. Right. If they did, they're, they're going to drop out. So prepping that mind ahead of time. But that that's the group. Yeah. And uh, my wife named it. We coined it uh, Show Me OCD Support Group. And my website is uh, gregorysansone.com. Email is gregsansone63 at gmail.com, G-R-E-G-G, Sansone, S-A-N-S-O-N-E, 63 at gmail.com. You can also call me on my phone, 615-984-9690. Mondays, we do it. People talk about it. It's tremendously helpful. You get it out there. We're as sick as our secrets. You start talking about it and you realize, holy cow, people are not going to, they don't think I'm nuts. They're not going to put me in a straitjacket. They're not going to lock me up. This is incredible. This is incredible. You know, you go from hell to heaven. That's how support groups were for me when before I started my own. And then starting starting my own, it was just like serious work. I just, I, my whole motto was, we're not here to baby each other. We're here to work our asses off. Are you ready? Let's go. And a lot of people would drop out, but a lot of people would stay. And the ones that stayed got better. Greg, here's the million dollar question. And I, I've, I saw this last week. I was around somebody that just just couldn't turn the corner as far as working, putting the work in on themselves. And I couldn't agree with you more that it is work, right? You have to put the work yes. in on yourself before you can even like keep a job or keep a relationship or be a parent or whatever. What, what do you say to people that have a loved one that they're trying to get over the hump or turn the corner or just try, to try to get them from that place of, you know, the anxiety almost makes them lazy, where they're afraid to improve. You know what I mean? They're afraid to do that work you talk about. How do you get somebody from that spot and kind of open their eyes and say, hey, if you just do these few things, you know, your life's going to change for the better. Right. You're talking about a loved one like a child? Sure. Could be a could be a husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever. A loved one, yeah. Yeah. First of all, reason doesn't work as far as a motivation, in my opinion. It never did. As far as, well, if you do this, you're going to be good. Right. It might with some people. It might. It, it, what really works are a couple things. The most powerful thing that I've learned that works is love. Not to, you know. No, I agree. I'm corny, but love. And when you love that person so much from your heart and you're speaking from your heart and you, and not your mind, forget your mind. And you go with your heart and you say, you know, I really, really, really love you. And I want to see you get better. And I love you so much that I'm not going to necessarily give you what you want in every moment because I've been taught that it's bad for you. So I love you so much. I don't, I don't care if you're a little mad at me for the long, greater gain of you. That's how much I love you. I will commit and sign up to do this hard work with you to where you might be mad at me. Are you willing to, to do the hard work too? When you get love on the front end, it changes your whole reaction. When somebody touches your heart and they say, I love you and I'm going to do this because of that. And they, I mean, really means it and you feel it. And will you, will you try with me? Like to, all of a sudden you're engaged. Yeah, man, I, I feel loved. I mean, of course I'll try, you know? So I think loving them, really loving them, but strong love, not mammy, pammy love, give them whatever they want. Love. No, a deeper benevolent love, a real love. So freaking powerful. You know, I've done it with my son when he was growing up, just in general, not with OCD or anxiety. And you've gone through 15 years old versus seven or eight, six, seven, eight years old. He'd do whatever I told him. 15 years old, he would still do it. But I'd start to see this resentment in him and I didn't like it. So I actually went to a therapist to learn how to reparent a, a, a teenager because I didn't want him to build resentment. I went to like 10 sessions and he, and he told me, appeal to his common sense, appeal to his common sense. And, done it. and then I came up with this thing where I would talk to him and I'd be like, hey, man, look, I love you so much. And I would say this 15-year-old, I love you so much. At the, and I wasn't bullshitting. It was real. That my, The most important thing to me is your development. 
And I love you so much. I don't want to feel like I failed. And I can't be influenced by what you necessarily want when I believe in your greater gain. That's how much I care about you. And it's really hard for me to say no to you because I know you don't want. Anyway, I started talking to him like that, touching his heart. Game changer, man. Game changer. Go to love. And I don't mean soft love. I mean, so therefore, son, you can't go to this party because I know it's a bad group. And you know what? He'd go, I get it, Dad. I get it. Love them hard on the front end. Love them hard. Don't love them soft. Don't, oh, you know, uh uh-uh. Love Mm -hmm. them hard and you'll change them. And then they'll get engaged. So that's a big thing for me. Powerful love. There's got to be another wording for it. But you know what I mean? The difference between soft love and the other. Well, and I I believe that that's a wonderful strategy for many reasons, but mainly because most people, when they run into these issues with family members, loved ones, friends, close friends, you know, the, the first instinct is to yell and scream and berate and challenge and confront. And like, yeah, that, that can be helpful in certain spots, but I think what you're getting at here is that that emotion, that the strength of love is definitely going to get you further anyone as opposed to jumping down their throat and, you know, getting your finger in their face and and being combative. There's no comparison. There's none. You know that. Exactly right. The real love. And you you have in order to really love something or someone, I've learned I've got to be willing to feel vulnerable. If you want to help someone you love, help yourself first. If you want someone to do the hard work that's suffering with anxiety or OCD, or depression or whatever, bipolar, do your own hard work first. Do your own hard work because you got work to do. I guarantee you. We all struggle with vulnerability. You want to move that other person you love so much and really help them? Be vulnerable. Love it. Be vulnerable. You want to bring something out in them? Bring it out in yourself first. Show them. You do your work. You do your work and watch what happens in them. I've seen it with my own son. That's fantastic. Tell me a little Isn't bit that, about... Uh, that's That's emotional there, boy. Absolutely. I love it. I love your son as well. Tell me, tell me this, Greg, how important and, and how many days a week is your exercise routine for your anxiety? My, my goal is to do that 150 minutes a week, which is really steep on cardio because I'm 60 and it also makes me feel better. So I try to walk, jog. I do this routine where I walk, jog. I try to do it five days a week, 30 to 45 minutes. And and then I also, on the way back from it, I hate trash, so I pick up trash. I bring little trash bags. And uh-huh. People thought I was doing some that you've been arrested probation work, yeah, <laughs> community service. You know, were you wearing an orange jumpsuit? Honestly, I was wearing a, a, a deal because it gets to be darker. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I got twenty five hours more. But anyway, I do that. So five five days a week, I try to do that. And I I try to do, I know this sounds weird, but I try to do a set of bench press every single day, just a full set, no matter what. It's great. And I got to pull a bar and curls, but am I good at it? I try to do something every day. I try to do something every day. When I'm my most messed up, I will definitely get out and do cardio. If I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling anxious, if I'm feeling messed up in my head, I'll definitely, or got the blues, I'll definitely get out and do cardio. I need to be better with this. I need to be better, frankly, but I'm probably about, I do about 70% of what I would like to do. All right. I'm going to throw one word at you and I want you to elaborate freely and tell me and tell our listeners how important this word is in order for you to have the mental clarity that you now enjoy. That root, that word is routine. First of all, I know you love that. Of course I do. You love, yes, for recovery. Mm-hmm. And because we've talked about it before. Routine. I used to hate the word. Is that right? Um, okay. Oh, I used to hate. I didn't I ask this. It. I didn't ask this on purpose because I knew you didn't like it. I asked this. No, I, I know that. It was oh no, no, it is important. I will tell you this much. I think it's very important, and a part of me hates to say it because I used to hate it so much. But I think it's very important. I do. I do. I think it can reach a point maybe where it's okay to mix it up a little bit. Of course. Yes, yes, of yes. So I think I think it can go over sometimes, you know, with being, ex, you know, like it, but it's okay to color your life up a little bit and do it a little different way maybe. But yes, I agree with you. And anyone I've ever talked to that's gone through hard times, usually will say what pulled me out of it was 
just every morning doing a load of laundry, no matter what. Totally. Just couldn't yeah. agree more. So I agree with you. Routine is key. And this other thing is not procrastinating. Oh, amen. Keep going. And I, I just learned this new thing where it's like, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now. The, the way to not procrastinate is create an urgency. Yes. You know, I do it now. I do it now. So and big things, small things, whatever, you know, the water jug purifier water went out and we've got it outside in the garage. The, and it's like, okay. And it's like, wait a minute. No, do it now. I see that red light. Wham. I'm going outside. So routine along with not procrastinating and doing things now has been absolutely huge for me because there is something that happens when we do something productive, no matter how small it is. If we say, I'm going to get a shower and we get a shower, there is a feel-good chemical, you can tell I'm no doctor, that gets released in our brain when we actually do something that is productive or that we say we're going to do. And that cumulative effect, it's like when you're down and then you just start moving and doing things and 40 minutes go by and you notice you feel a little better and you don't know why. There's something with that. So yes to the routine, the doing, the doing, over and over, the doing, the doing, the doing. Humongous. It's actually a form of treatment for depression called behavioral activation. Something like that, where they just keep keep keeping. Well, let routine. me let me give you an yeah. example of, of the specifics of a routine that I like to use, right? Yeah. So yep. I, I travel a ton for what I do. So I could be in St. Louis, I could be in Florida, I could be in California, I could be in Texas, whatever. And kind of to your point about coloring up the routine, changing it a little bit. So wherever I am, when I wake up, no matter what time zone I'm in, what city I'm in is the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a cardio deal. It could be a walk. It could be, I'm going to run stairs. It could be a, a jog. And then my staple to my routine is I do a minimum every day of 30 old school gym class burpees. Because I know that if I do at least, I mean, there's been days when I've done over a hundred, but there, what I know for me is that if I do at least 30 burpees, my heart rate gets going where it kind of pushes me right through any hint of depression to start the day. And I get the endorphins, you know, flowing. And then after I do this workout, it's usually about an hour or maybe 80 minutes. Then I go back to wherever I am, whether it's a hotel or my place or uh, Airbnb, whatever, where I'm staying for the week. And I get that shower in that you mentioned after yep. the workout. And then I get on my gratitude journal and it takes me about 10 to 15 minutes to fill out an entire page. And that is my routine. No matter where I am, that's the routine for me that starts my day in the most productive way. Because I get the endorphins from the exercise. I get the, the focused time on, on gratitude. And, and something that we actually mentioned on a podcast we did earlier this week, Greg, and I wanted to tell you this. What I figured out with this gratitude journal, and I just want a lot of people to hear this, is that if you spend 15 minutes a day for a month doing your gratitude journal, that is 450 minutes of focused work on your mental health. That averages out to seven and a half hours a month. If any person can get that amount of time focused on their mental health, like how could that ever be bad for you? But to me, the routine, whatever, and it can be whatever you want it to be. It could include a meal in there. It could include reading. It could include a lot of different things. But I think the routine uh, that you can kind of make on your own is something that can, you know, put your mind in a place where it needs to be to be, you know, really strong every day. That is remarkable, man. That routine you just said was absolutely my hats off to you and the benefits that come from that. The other thing I do is I'll do a backup plan for me. If I don't have it, if I do have a day where I'm not doing what I want to do, I try to just remember this one, one thing. And that is to get out of breath at least once every day. So I heard that somewhere and it's Love really it. helpful. Get out of breath at least once every day. So like if I don't work out on a day, and we're getting ready to have dinner and I'll go outside on the, on the gravel road and it's kind of an incline and I'll just run that thing as far as I can go until my legs are numb and I can't breathe. Love it. And then I'll just walk, I get out of breath, get out of breath at least once every day. And I'll, I'll try to do at least one set of bench press every day or, or a set of pull-ups or something. I just try to do something every day, but yeah, to you, man, that, that routine you just said, that was rock star. That's incredible. It took me a long time to figure out that I needed kind of the strenuous 
exercise of the burpees, like, cause I needed that. So if let's yeah. say if I'm like in a hurry, I, I, maybe I can only fit in the 30 burpees, but as long as I get those in, like my heart rate gets going to a point where like, I do sweat a little bit. And to your point, you're mm-hmm. a little bit out of breath. Yeah. And, and that just kind of gives you a charge, especially with, I mean, I haven't admittedly, I haven't experienced as much anxiety. My issues have been more with mania and depression. I have had anxiety in the, when I've been in the grips of mania with kind of paranoia, but you know, my goal each day is to just battle depression and just pretty much beat the fuck out of depression every day. And then yes. everything else can kind of play off of that. But I believe that if you ha- if you can find something and you know what, I'm not saying everybody has to have a routine early in the morning. You could have one at lunchtime. You could have one at dinner time. You could have one after dinner, whatever time of day you want it to be. But that that routine is kind of like a baseline that resets you and just allows you to kind of get your brain organized, you know, for the day or maybe for the rest of the day, depending upon when you decide to do it. 100%. And I have battled heavily with depression as well. It can go hand in hand with OCD and usually does. I've battled heavily with it as well. And so one thing I wanted to say to that, and that's where exercise, any anybody worth their salt will tell you exercise is the number one remedy to you know depression is doing that. And that's where the behavioral activation comes in, which is powerful. It's, it's everything you're describing. And basically what it is, is on bad days, I would just say to myself, any movement that I make intentionally is a win. Can't get out of bed. Yep. Just... You don't want to budge? Move one finger. Been there. <laughs> right, me too. Move. Yeah, I know move we're not one. supposed to be laughing about not being able to get out of bed, but I know you so well that it's making me laugh. Absolutely, absolutely. Move one finger and feel good about it. There's something about intentionally saying you're going to do something, no matter how small, and then doing it. Take one dish up to the to the sink. Yep. Turn the water on. Don't even think about showering if that's overwhelming. But turn the water on, you know, but small things will build up. And then before you know it, you're you're kind of going, you're going. So do 1% on the worst time, but do 1% and then it'll lead to something else. I don't, when I'm in my bad place, I don't ever say, I'm going to go work out. I say, all right, honey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go drive around. I'll probably stop by the gym. And she knows, you know, so I do, I break it down into small pieces. Like, okay, I'm just going to go drive around listening to music. I may go by the gym. And, and then when I, and then when I get there, she's like, okay. And then when I get there, it's like, yeah, I may go in, I may go in, just take a look around there. And you know, then I'll, then, then I'll leave if I want to, because it's scary when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. Right. And then I'll go in I feel a little bit better because I've done something. And then before you know it, I'm on the treadmill. Of course, I'm only going to go 30 seconds and I right. wind up going. So baby steps and feel good and, Feel good about little things you do. Your depression's a son of a gun, man. It's funny that it, it's funny that you bring that up, right? The the not being able to get out of bed. When I yeah. first when I first had my worst, like the very beginning of my bipolar manic episode, right? My parents had to bring me back to St. Louis from Florida. I was in Florida, yeah. and they they put me in my sister's bed because my sister and brother had already moved out of the house, and and I woke up and I had never in my life. I had had a manic episode, and if, if you know anything about bipolar, the one thing that follows a manic episode is a depression cycle. Well, I had never been depressed in my whole life. You know, I just was very lucky. Well, as I'm laying in bed, I realize, well, fuck, I can't get out of bed. Right. And I literally, what I would do, and this is in my book, I rolled out of the bed onto the floor. I just, like, crashed onto the floor, and then I would put my tennis shoes on on the floor and I would get up and I would go outside and I would walk around the neighborhood I literally had to like force myself to fall out of the bed because I knew and you you kind of touched on it like you can start by moving one finger you can start by moving one arm but I eventually just spilled out of the bed and then that's well I mean I had no choice because I knew I'd never felt that way before right and it was you did have a choice well you had a choice to give up and you said no true that's true I'll give you that. That's the point for people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand what it's like to feel that way, as you just mentioned that you have, you know, when you don't want to get out of bed, especially one of the things I struggle with is, you know, the wintertime. Like when it's like last Christmas was brutal. It was like, you know, right around zero and, you know, you don't want to get out of that bed. Right. But you, you sometimes, and I want to get your opinion on this. Sometimes when you enable to do the work we've mentioned to improve, right? You've got to really take that warrior mindset that you mentioned, and you've got to force yourself, right? You have got to push your own buttons. 
kick I mean, your own ass. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yep. Just kick your own ever loving ass. That's right. You know, it's like, you know, like liar, liar, where he's beating himself with the toilet seat. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's a warrior mindset. And you know what I say? I say, you know what? If people can go away to war and they got to leave their families and they've got to, you know, especially in the old days, you know, get on front lines and they got to be at risk of something like that. What makes me any different? to not take this on and step up to what is the front lines for me. Why should I be special and I don't have to go through that kind of challenge in my life when someone else does, when someone else does, I'm no better than anybody else. That's right. None of us are. That's right. So if someone is going through something and they're willing to do it, why wouldn't Greg Sansone be willing to do it? And that helps me. And then it's like, okay, I'm going, Mm -hmm. I'm going to put it on the line. That's the mindset to get your life back. And I say to people, if you, if what is more precious than the one life you've been given is a gift and a miracle, you don't know why the hell you're here. All of a sudden you got this life and you're this functioning miracle. You have no right to give up. Right. You have absolutely no right to give up unless you are dead. Because, because then if you give up, you can never develop the gift that your life could turn out to be. Yes. And it's right there. Your gift is right there at your hardest moments. If you'll just walk through it, fall out of bed, put that shoe on, move that finger, say, no, I'm not dead yet. I'm fighting this. No. Mm-hmm. And get pissed off. Yes. Get crazy. Anger is a powerful motivator. Who is this son of a bitch? You know, depression and bipolar and OCD. Who is this son of a bitch that's going to steal my life from me? Fuck you. Yes. Get mad. Mm-hmm. Develop the chip on the shoulder, you know? I mean, I think a lot of people a lot of people don't use what you're explaining here to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- this person I was referring to earlier in our conversation, I was trying to explain, hey, your loved one is challenging you to get better, and they're pissing you off. Why don't you allow to get pissed off and go prove, go prove them wrong. They're, they're telling you, they're telling you that you're never going to get better, that you're not going to improve you. You're doing the same thing over and over. Okay. Well, maybe that was the case before, but now draw that line in the sand and go do the work and get mad. You you know, you couldn't have said it any better. Anger is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And we think anger is bad. Bullshit. It's good. You want to hear the title of my next book? And I don't mean this literally, but I've been kicking it around for a year. Of course. You ready for this? Yeah. Fuck fear. Fuck you. And by all means, fuck me. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I'm not listening to fear. I'm not listening to what you think about me. And I'm not listening to my personal preferences, what I want in that very moment. All three of them go bye-bye. Wonderful. Love it. When is that coming I out? I don't have guts yet to put that title out there. But. Hey, these days, I think that title fits very well. I don't, you know, if it was 1987, you know, maybe not. My brother Nick says it would, it would be incredible. It would be. So, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and, and even if you don't name it that, I think you should. Right. But, but, you know, th- that kind of mentality, you know, there's a lot of this victim mentality all over the place it, nowadays. It doesn't and, work and when well it com- when it comes to mental health, that's the absolute worst mindset you can have. Like woe is woe is me. I don't need to take care of this. Uh, you know, it's just the, the you said it. The biggest thing you said today to me that jumped out today was procrastination. People will put off going to work out. They put off going to see the therapist. They put off going to find the right medication. It's just what are you waiting for? Right. And the, and, and the way to get over uh, procrastination is create an urgency, create an absolute urgency. Like something comes up and all of a sudden just have alarms go off in your mind. Do it now. 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 Create an absolute urgency like you have to do it now. And that's the way to overcome this procrastination stuff. You know, I call it the FU mentality, mental disorder. What do I mean by that? I mean, the person that's suffering has to say, this is Greg Sansone's experience. Okay, this worked for me. It says, F you to the disorder, fuck you, and I am going to fight until I'm dead. Yes. Now, that's a hard thing to overcome. That's a hard opponent to beat. When they say, I'm going to fight until I'm dead, there's not a mental disorder out there that can kick that's ass. I agree. 
And, and frankly, I've taken the same approach with the bipolar, in a, but a little bit shifted in the sense that, yeah, yeah, no, it's the same, but I always put it into in the sports vernacular, right? Like, okay, well, I got a game today. I got a match today against bipolar disorder, right? Well, I'm going to kick its ass. And I know I don't want to kick it for me, obviously being a golfer. Yeah. I don't want to kick its ass two and one in the match. I want to kick its ass eight and seven. You know, I want to, I don't, I, I always used to say this when I would do a talk, you know, I don't just want to win. I want to run up the score. Like okay. when I remember, do you remember the old, the coach from Florida, Steve Spurrier, who used to run up the score every time they'd play anybody, you know, he'd, they'd win games 47 to three and they'd win games 55 to 10. And, <laughs> yes, yes, and I just yes, thought to yes. myself, you know, that mentality yeah. is the way you have to handle mental illness because, because, because it's, it's, it's going to come back at you no matter what you do, right? You, you have to stomp on it and get, you know, stomp on its neck and hold its neck down and choke it out. And that's how you'll win. But if you're, See? you're, you're exactly right. You have to be aggressive and say, aggressive. fuck you. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to beat you. And there's yeah. nothing you can do to stop me. Bingo, bingo, aggressive and offense. Yes. Offense, not defense. Right. That's it. That's it. And fuck you. There's nothing. Anger is a remarkable motivator. Get pissed off. Look at what this thing has taken from your life. Right, exactly. Look what it's taken from you. At some point, we're going to be dead and gone, and this son of a bitch and robber has come in? Right. May have cost you, it may have cost you friendships. It may have cost you a marriage. It may have cost you a job. Like, how could you sit on the sideline and not want to, you know, like you say, go on the offense against it, right? I don't, the yes. Pe- the people that are afraid to go on offense against mental illness, well, they're going to have trouble with mental illness then. Well, that's exactly, to me, that's what it comes down to. If there's anything I would say that's most important in my experience with this is the mindset. And the mindset has to be to go on the offense, to be aggressive, to get pissed off at it. The opposite of the victim mentality. Don't defend yourself. Don't defend your, attack. Yes. Attack the disorder. Um, Greg, before we go, Tell our listeners one more time how they can get involved in your group, how they can reach you, how they can call you, text you, email you. I know you said that before, but give us all your info. I'll say it again. Absolutely. My cell phone, you can call or text 615-984-9690. My website is gregorysansone.com. My email is greg. Two G's at the end, G-R-E-G-G, Sansone, S-A-N-S-O-N-E, 63 at gmail.com. The group is Show Me OCD Support Group every Monday evening at 6.30 Central Standard Time on Zoom. The meeting ID is 980-5717-6273. Password is 4Y, capital S is in Sam, capital A is in Apple. KZ. Beautiful. That's me, brother. I love it. Well, I mean, obviously, with us being a St. Louis-based podcast, I'm hoping that people will listen and they'll reach out to you and, and try to learn more from you. I mean, I, you know, every time we talk about this type of thing, you know, I learn something from you and I love talking with you about it. And I know that we could do this for three hours straight. Like, I have no doubt that we could go on and we on. And, on. Yes. and you know what we do when we do this, Mike? We move each other. Right. We move each other. It's just not logical learning. There's a, no. there's movement. And that's what I think therapy has to start becoming more and more and more of. Get emotional. Move them. Couldn't agree more. I know. I know. You're the best, brother. People just, they have to understand that it's a fight, man. You got to be it's willing. You got to be willing to fight. If you, if you don't, if you lay down, you're fucked. That's it. That's right. You're fucked. It's not pretty. No. Whoever says there's a right way to do it. Bullshit. Get in the game. Yeah, you're going to get a little bloody. That's okay. I mean, I've got a 200-page book of mostly embarrassing stories about how bipolar disorder embarrassed the fuck out of me. But, like, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to go ahead and and embarrass bipolar disorder right back. I mean— That's exactly right. In my mind, that's the only way to handle it. I mean, I— I tried when I was younger to be complacent and not as aggressive and it just doesn't work. And I'm sure you experienced the same thing with anxiety. 100%. But when you have the bring it mentality, come on and bring it. Let's see, bring it. 
Yeah. Or, or my, you know, what if, well, if you do this, then if you do this, then my greatest response is back to it is we'll see. Exactly. We'll see. Love it. And then I'm going, and then I'm going anyway. That's the commit emotional suicide. That's the fuck you mentality. It's all, it's all about the same thing. No, it's, it's wonderful stuff. You're a stud, man. I love talking to you. S- same to you. Like I said, we could do it all day. Look, uh, Merry Christmas to you, Catherine, Hunter, obviously the entire Sansone clan. Uh, you know, hope to see you over the holiday if, you're, uh, if you come up north a little bit. But I am. I'll be there. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch as always. And thank you for your, your, your time and certainly your expertise, man. A lot of people out there are going to benefit from hearing this today. I love it. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Thank you. Love you, buddy. All right, Greg. Take care of yourself, brother. Love you. Take care. Bye-bye.